Hi, I'm Mario Evan, and you're listening to Talk Truth, a weekly inspired podcast discussing the things that most people are afraid to, but from a Jamaican perspective. From relationships, sex and sexuality, to the ins and outs of entrepreneurship, in this space we speak about almost anything with the intention to inspire, educate, entertain, and create a fair and balanced space where your truth shall become your power and set you free. Hey guys, welcome to episode number 50 of Talk Trot. I'm your boy Mario Evan and it's Black History Month and it's also Reggae Month in Jamaica. But on this episode, I decided I wanted to title it and speak to you about my black experience. And as much as I've shared about myself and who I am, I know that in episode one, season one, we did the five W's and I spoke about my professions as a doctor, a musician, an entrepreneur, my sign, a proud Libra I am. But I never discussed much about my black experience. And that's because I've never really had it at the forefront of my mind to share what it's been like being a black man in Jamaica, in the world. And because it is Black History Month, I thought it would be a good idea to share a few more layers of myself for you to get an idea of who I am. Some of the things I'm going to talk about in this episode include my origins, my background, my upbringing, and some of the negative experiences I've had around race and culture and my current experience and relationship with my blackness. So let's start from the top. Let's start from the beginning, where I'm from. I am Mario Evan Guthrie, and I am born to black Jamaican parents, both from rural Jamaica. My dad is from an area called Moreland Hill, and not too far from Moreland Hill is where my mom is from, an area called Delveland, in a parish, kind of similar to the states, to a state that I meant, called Westmoreland. And yes, Westmoreland is the parish that the popular tourist destination Negril is in, and it's also the westernmost part of the island. My father's surname is Guthrie, which of course is my surname, and my mom's maiden name is Smith. Both of my grandfathers were farmers, and my paternal grandmother did many things. I remember her as a teacher and also a seamstress. My maternal grandmother was a housewife, and she could also sew and made uniforms for my mom and my aunts and uncles who were her children. These professions were not uncommon to rural Jamaica in that period. My brother and I, on the other hand, were born in Kingston, which is the capital of Jamaica, and we can call that City Jamaica. I would say by the time I was born, I was born into what I thought was a middle-class life, but in context, my parents would have worked very hard to move from rural Jamaica, the country, to Kingston, the city, and I also know that after they got married, they lived in an area called Vineyard Town. Then they moved off of Whitehall Avenue and then eventually to Havendale, which is where I grew up. I'm yet to mention anything about race or blackness just yet because my parents did not speak about race in our house. Um, it was almost like we lived in a colorblind space. They definitely were the type of people who treated people for who they were. People who worked for or with them had 
names and and they were never called by titles. So I kind of grew up seeing people as people. Another interesting thing about race in Jamaica is that it's inextricably tied to social class and the perceptions around social class. And social class, interestingly, is inextricably tied to complexion and shade or hue of your skin, which is going to later tie into some of my personal experiences living as a black man in Jamaica. Other fun facts about the origins, I learned that my surname Guthrie is Scottish and that I'm most likely a distant descendant of Colonel John Guthrie, Custos Rotolorum and Colonel of the West Milano Militia. Colonel of the West Milan Militia. Who, in quotations, who by his courage, conduct and perseverance effected the reduction of the rebel Negroes that for many years miserably harassed the island and against whom all former attempts had been made in vain, end quote. All right, I guess he was an important man. Again, not atypical of a Caribbean island where you had sailors and slave masters and people coming from all sorts of places to discover us and interact with the people who were already here and the slaves. Then you end up with the mix-up. That's Jamaica. Other fun facts, my maternal great-grandfather was a tall, light-skinned man with bluish eyes, uh, which nobody in my current family has, but he was married to a dark-skinned woman. So on both sides of my family, I have both light and dark-skinned members, mainly dark and minority lighter-skinned persons. My brother in my immediate family is the darkest of the four of us, and it's so funny when we're together, people often don't know that we're brothers, even though I think we look alike. I feel like I'm the brown version of him um but i find that complexion confuses people so much that if you are not close in complexion even with physical similarities people tend to not be able to connect you um you have to look with a discerning eye we probably have a similar lip or head back or something like that um coming back to the fact that my parents never really brought up race. People were always treated based on character and never on social class or complexion. Uh, where I'm going with this is that for a large part of my childhood, I didn't have a racial or class construct because none existed in my household. There were no narratives of black no good, which is common in our culture where darker skinned people are made to feel bad for their blackness, something that I think is coming way from our, our slavery days. And nor any talks of discrimination tied to social class ever. Again, I think this had a lot to do with the fact that they were from rural Jamaica and from humble beginnings. We had so many relatives and themselves had come from poverty. I don't see why they would have any reason to start to differentiate and try to select out and feel like they were better than anybody because they would have no place to. And we came up underneath that. We were the only family members who lived in Kingston apart and we had apart from us we had everybody else lived in rural Jamaica. I have some family in Portmore and I had an uncle who migrated to the UK at the time in my childhood. So basically my childhood was living in Kingston with regular visits to Delvland, Moreland Hill, Brownstown, Montego Bay and Betheltown. Country life was not fun. Not for me, especially when you have the privilege of running water, electricity, and modern creature comforts in Kingston. It was a time when the home sweet home lamp was glowing in 
the pitch blackness, you bathe in the river or in rainwater that was collected in a metal drum with a bag of tiki-tiki in it. And tiki-tiki would be like mosquito larvae as the mosquitoes lay eggs on the water surface. You'd have these little wiggly larvae in the water. Or using a pit latrine or a pit toilet as we call it. Cooking on a coal stove which is a metal pot with um, coal in it heated up um, by lighting kerosene oil on the coal. All of these things, not to mention the mosquitoes that used to try and eat me alive, not even mosquito destroyer could kill them. And that would have been the mosquito destroyer that was the coil, the green coil and the little metal thing. Though we never enjoyed it, my parents made sure that we were exposed to their roots, which were by transitivity, our roots. And it's ironic that no one of the things I love to do the most is to go and visit my family in the country or even just to go out into rural Jamaica, even though back then I really despised it. You might be wondering why I'm talking so much about country life. But again, in Jamaica, our culture is very classist and classism ties in a lot into colorism in Jamaica. So it's important for me to paint a picture of the perspective I had of Jamaica growing up. So country life, though not my reality, was very familiar to me. I appreciated it and understood it. And um, it, it really colored my perspective on a life different from the one that I was being afforded. Kingston, on the other hand, brought a whole different set of exposures. My primary education was at a prep school and not a primary school. One of the differences include that prep schools are usually private, Primary schools are normally public, which influences who has access to them and also influences the kinds of experiences and exposures you have in them. At my school, I had classmates who were Indian Jamaican, white Jamaican, Chinese Jamaican, and of course, predominantly black. But um, this was odd for us in Jamaica growing up in a country where our motto is out of many one people, which was coined in 1962 as a tribute to the many cultural minorities inhabiting the country. Jamaicans of mixed race, varied cultures is not unusual to most Jamaicans. Though you will meet Jamaicans who will hear certain people speaking proper English and have lighter complexion and wonder if they really come from the country. Not unusual. I then moved on to a high school which was co-educational and quote-unquote uptown. At this point, I still did not have a really strong racial construct, apart from the fact that I knew I was black, I knew other people had other mixes, and we coexisted, but there was never any kind of competition or battle in my mind as to who was better or worse. We just existed, because kids are like that. Kids can be really cool. Kids, kids sometimes can be mean, but they can also just exist and play and just do things, because they tend to see people. High school. Let me define uptown. Geographically, Uptown would be above the halfway tree clock. But on a deeper level, most of the affluent people in Jamaica live in the Uptown spaces, which by extension means that their children would live Uptown and tend to go to Uptown schools that are above the clock. And basically, the perception, which is true in many cases, is that these kids would have been the same ones who were in the prep schools, who then moved on to the uptown high schools. So that was interesting. So I saw a lot of the same type of people from the prep schools who moved into, into the high schools. What I would say about the school I went to is that it was pretty structured. 
for me, socially, we had the experience of having women around and trying to figure them out, which I still haven't. And my school particularly had a lot of academic structure, which was very different from my friends who went to other schools. Some of them who went to schools downtown and in other communities where, whereas I would be in class all the time, they would be lucky if they had a class. It was in high school where my appreciation of the social class and racial spectrum started to develop. And largely because I was pretty well-known and pretty friendly. So I got invited to a lot of parties by a lot of people from all walks of life and in many different places. I saw I went to parties in houses that looked kind of like the one I grew up in. I went to ones that looked not as nice as the one I grew up in. And I went to some that were in great houses and even at hotels. I was sometimes taken aback by the fact that these places existed in Jamaica and that I, through friendship, was getting access to them. I started to ac- appreciate how access due to status worked and also how status in Jamaica was very much tied to profession and social class, even more than race in some cases. But yet race was always somehow still tied back into status and social class as a lot of the more affluent people were of lighter complexion. Which shouldn't make it be surprising to me some of the experiences I later had in my life because this was a construct and an old construct, again I think coming from slavery, which takes a long time to really peter down and water down. Fast forward to university, my exposures would widen as now we're feeding into a university from the entire island. We have people coming from different parishes, different schools. So now we're getting kids from rural Jamaica, town Jamaica, everybody coming into one place to form one population. Again, not limited to various exposures. I wasn't surprised by some of the characters I met, but it became more apparent to me how exposures influence behavior. That was my primary thing. I never necessarily tied behavior to complexion. I tied exposures to connections, to to, um, behaviors. So I figured if you were in a rougher environment, maybe you'd probably behave behave a certain way. And if you were in a more refined and controlled or sheltered environment, you'd probably behave a certain way. And I found that those types of associations were more consistent for me. So still in my mind, I never had a great racial connection, but more exposure connection. But also in university, I would start to join different groups. And here was when I would start to have some experiences where there were jokes about being brown skin and black people being at the front of the bus or the back of the bus or the brown people in the front of the bus when we go on tours and, and travel to other sides of the country with these groups that I would be in. And these were just jokes that we would have. They were quote-unquote jokes, but they were often quite Freudian. And I think at the core of it reflected deeper insecurities that other people had. And sometimes it would come out that people were hurt by some of their childhood Jamaican experiences where they felt like their blackness was being used against them. And I remember even being told that you would never know because you're brown, so you wouldn't even understand it. And I, I respected that and I would never ever contest that I did because there's one thing in life that I've learned is that nothing beats the experience of having the experience. And I don't think you can know what it's like to be very, very dark and what that feels like if you're not. <laughs> we can only assume and, and extrapolate from the experiences of others. Um, but I do know what it is like to be me. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more as we move along. I like to highlight some of my other exposures as well, 
because my grandmother lived in Central Village for a long time, which is a rougher community. And um, I remember visiting her and how my father would reverse down the lane and how everybody in the lane knew who he was. But I also liked the fact that they always were on an alert. So if you never know the lane and you never have no, no business to be down the lane, you got a great sense of if you don't belong here, don't come here. That was interesting too about her community in Central Village. And um, she was an interesting woman. She was a staunch Seventh-day Adventist and she helped to start the Seventh-day Adventist church in Central Village. We had an interesting relationship, sometimes tense, because we were both pretty feisty. And, and we, I realized now we were both Libras. Um, she died at the age of 92 in the year of 2010. And though we had a lot of disagreements, I loved her a whole lot because when I reflect on her life, I see a lot of the qualities in my father that made him a go-getter, which I also see in myself. And it was an absence of fear to try new things and to evolve. She did everything, every and anything and, and well. And I think she was, she probably has led to the multipotential like that that I have, which has led to me, the multipotential like me. Um, some of the distinct memories I have with her are listening to old 45s on her little record player. And sometimes she would take me on the bus to her Seventh-day Adventist church conventions. Yeah, the one they made a big, 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 big tent. Yeah. I never loved going there either. But, you know, you do what you have to do. And if you know about SDA convention, you know, I go already. So at this point, if I were to, were to recap quickly, I grew up as a kid with multiple exposures, no strong racial construct. High school is where I start to see some differentiation in social class, which is somewhat tied to race. And then in university, that expands a bit more as I'm meeting more people and their stories are coming to the fore. Uh, now is a great time, I guess, to segue into a greater realization of being a black Jamaican man and my experiences. So for those who do not know Jamaica, we don't use black and brown people like how it's being used in the United States now, where the brown is used to kind of incorporate the browns of other cultures. In Jamaica, if you're brown, you're a black man with brown skin. It is literally a, sh a reference to the hue of your skin. For me, I am either light-skinned or a brown man on the streets. In the USA, I would just be black. And um, as I grew older, I came to learn what my type of brown man was. Especially me, the brown man, with my Kingston upbringing and the refinements of some of my exposures and how ambiguous that made me not only in Jamaica, but also in the U.S. And how your manner of speech, your tone of voice, your body language, your exposure to pop culture and how that channeled through you, how it would alter how some Jamaicans and people would perceive you. I'll come back to Jamaica. I'm going to hop to the United States. So I did a second degree after my medical degree in the U.S. I was in Boston, Massachusetts. And there I learned that people would hear a refined Jamaican accent and think that you're Trini, which is interesting. So I was called, people thought I was from Trinidad. Um, the people who lived in Boston who were Dominican thought I was from the Dominican Republic. A bunch of them live in Dorchester. Um, not Dorchester, wrong area. I can't remember right now. There's an area where a lot of Dominicans live and based on how I looked, they thought I was Dominican. When I had cane rows and I would pass through Miami Airport, 
some of the staff members would speak to me in Spanish before they spoke to me in English. And there was a 7-Eleven across the road where they thought I was Ethiopian. He told me, you know, there, there, there's a part of Ethiopia where you would fit, fit in perfectly. And of course, I would be black American, half white, of course, Jamaican. Initially, I hated the fact that I could be perceived as so many different things. But then I started to realize this is kind of cool. You know, you could probably go into another country, shut him out and blend in. This is almost like being a real life chameleon. Like, yeah, you're Jamaican, but you could be so many other things. And this could be protective. So I started to look at my ambiguous <laughs> racial um, appearance as potentially protective. But the USA started to show me other things. I had a few experiences that made me aware of what it was like to be black in the United States. We went on a tour with, with um, my college to the West Coast and we were in Seattle. Myself and two friends of mine who were white, we were in a store and a lady was in the store with a black Labrador. Of course, Labradors are jet black. He had this device around his neck with a, a light, a blinker light, which, and it was night. I remember just being friendly, speaking to the lady, and I said to her, hey, nice dog. Um, I guess he has that color on his neck because he's so black, it's difficult to see him at night. And would you believe the lady gave me that smile and she said, yeah, you would know. For a moment, I thought I was going crazy, but my friends who were with me were in this small gift shop, like it was a 7-Eleven kind of small place. They heard it all. I looked at her. I looked at them. They looked at me. We all knew what happened. I was speechless. I'd never, ever had anyone smile and directly throw a racial slur to my face like that before. I didn't know how to deal with it. I literally just turned around and walked out of the store. Me and my friends were appalled. They couldn't believe that they heard it. They couldn't believe that it happened, but they witnessed it. And we all were shocked for a while that it happened. That was one experience. There was another experience where there was a college party, mainly black kids. It was a black party. Police came in and locked it off. When the party was being locked off, maybe there were just a few policemen that came in. One or two. House party. Ram jam. Boston. Freezing cold. We all come downstairs. When we get outside of the apartment, there are nine squad cars and that big something will look like a Brinks truck. One big truck. They confiscate the equipment of the DJs and handcuff them and throw them into the back of that truck. Nine squad cars. Maybe two black policemen of many policemen. As I'm walking home from this scene, I'm hearing parties in the distance, in apartments, going on. I'm confused. I am not able to compute why nine squad cars and an armored van were needed to shut down this particular party. That was compounded by other incidents of seeing squad cars following people slowly. And, and it then made sense to me why black Americans feel the way that they feel because it's hard. I mean, at first, I, oh, I was blind to it there because I didn't know it. I didn't understand it. But then I started to understand. Leaving the U.S., I'm going to come back to Jamaica because I'll have a conclusion about how the U.S. influenced my view of my blackness. But 
let me go back to me being a brown man. Um, there are further breakdowns in Jamaican culture. Sometimes they call me red man. And in this case, I'm a brown-skinned man with a red undertone. There's yellow man. And then there's St. Elizabeth Red. And when you hear St. Elizabeth Red, you think of a very light-skinned black person, maybe closer to white. But you can see that they have black features. And that would be like St. Elizabeth Red. I would later learn that in my experience that my type of brown man had a whole lot of things that were linked to him. He was viewed as incapable, sheltered, less Jamaican, unathletic, can't wash clothes, cannot wash clothes, by hand, <laughs> at least. He can't make the scrub scrub sound with the, with the um, blue soap, can't cook, can't do any form of manual labor, born with a gold spoon in his mouth, doesn't appreciate things native to his own culture, speaking patois, taking public transport, things very common to being Jamaican, slangs, dance moves. Matter of fact, if he has rhythm, that's a surprise. So being able to dance would be an oddity, maybe. You know, there's this, sometimes this feeling that the brown man needs to be cuddled and taken care of. And, and when such a person expresses outside of this construct, it seems cool or rootsy or is defined as layered or perceived as outside of the norm, not what we would expect. Well, this is the perception I grew up to learn existed because I had no knowledge of it growing up. I've always known myself as a black Jamaican man. I'm very able for dance. Uh, and, and just to be fair to my upbringing in Jamaica, I'm not trying to make it sound like I was the black swan or some very um, unusual Jamaican, because this isn't the majority. This is the majority of my experiences. But I would say that these threads would pop up from time to time enough in life for a pattern to be noticed. So luckily for me, I my psyche wasn't destroyed by it because it wasn't something that I was drowning in and it wasn't something I lived every day. And I know that there are Jamaicans who probably go through this on a very real scale to the point of depression. My situation wasn't like that because, again, people know me and they know so me can dance and they know me can do and they know me. But I'm just saying that as a brown man in Jamaica that these are some of the things that people will throw at you from time to time, often enough to notice that there is a pattern and a stereotype, right, that exists. Again, I was always aware of my capabilities, but, but at times you would question your adequacy and wonder why people would think these things and ask these things and definitively try to question or attack, attack them, like, why? As a child, I would have the desire to defend myself or retort a bit and try to prove that I could do things generally. Um, but I never ever tried to overcompensate for it. And because I really just always have always been myself. And again, I thank my parents for creating such a stable and comfortable space where we were allowed to just be and where they showed us what they needed to show us. But nobody was ever really making you feel bad for being you or, or otherwise. I felt loved and I felt I felt nurtured and cared for in my home space. And I had nothing to prove to my family. So I had nothing to prove to the world. I never had a desire to steal out of the house and go to parties. I never wanted to steal their car. I never needed to smoke. They gave us enough rope to do what we needed to do with enough restriction to know that we don't cross the line. So currently in my life, I've evolved way beyond caring to prove anything to anyone as I sit firmly and comfortably in the black Jamaican skin 
that I am in, knowing that I can and cannot do whatever what I want to do, and I know who I am. And I'm glad that I know who I am. And I'm just glad that this wasn't a situation where a lot of these things prevented me from being who I am. But I mean, here are some of the other things people say. Similar to what I mentioned already. Oh, you can cook? I thought you had someone to do that for you. Never know you could have danced too. Wait, you don't have a helper. Oh, wow, I didn't know your parents were black. Oh, you can change a tire. Literally, these are things people have said to me. You know what I mean? Have said to me. I did a campaign for um, around blackness. And a friend of mine messaged when I posted a picture and said, that's blackface, brown man. I'm offended. Anyway, I won't go into it because I'm not trying to implicate my friends. And I mean, no hard feelings to the people who said these things. I know your intentions weren't bad. But it does add, it does add to all of the layers of BS that I've been through in my experience. So, you know, if this person is saying it, thinking it's funny, maybe for them, they're thinking that it's something that's okay to say. In a time like this, Black, 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 Lives, Matter, matters, Black Lives Matter was raging at the time. And, and I thought, you know, this is not a funny thing to say. Another one of my close friends too referred to me as one of those beautiful non-Jamaicans. And I had to defend myself because I didn't know what it meant. And I mean, this is no, this is as an adult. Again, not implicating these people because I do respect you guys and I know that your intentions weren't wrong, but it does work well with this podcast episode and also with my truth, with things that I have experienced and have been experiencing. And... I did learn that a lot of these responses really was projection and had nothing to do with me. And that's so important for you to recognize if you find yourself on the other end of, of these perceptions, of these perceptions that probably has nothing to do with you any at all. So, you know, people are entitled to their opinions and their perceptions and even conclusions if they've gotten that far. But I mean... You sh you'll know when to step up and make a moment, a teachable moment, or when to just shut up and not say anything at all. And if you're really comfortable with yourself, majority of the time, you won't have to say anything at all. So I guess at this point, you kind of get an idea of what my life has been like. I'm such a true Libra. I think race and culture and stuff, I've remained in a relatively neutral space about it for a long time. And that's why I tend to not get into big arguments and discussions about social class and race because I think my perspective that I've been allowed based on my experiences doesn't get me very heated about it. I don't really want to get too heated about it because I grew up in a space where I wasn't brainwashed with one thing or the other. So final words and hopes for my people, I'll just say that growing up in Jamaica and living here really showed me that black is worthy and beautiful and and actually the, ma the majority. So seeing it is not unusual and being around it is not unusual. And whilst in moments it did make me feel not black enough and not Jamaican enough, but overall, 
I lean to feeling proud of my blackness, especially through my Jamaican heritage, growing up and seeing black people in positions of power and authority. I don't think there's anything like appreciating that your race is capable and smart and beautiful. Music, athletics, it's just really a beautiful place to be black. The USA showed me that any shade of visible melanin makes you black and you could potentially be a threat. Nobody's trying to differentiate the microtones. It's black and white. And um, I appreciated institutionalized racism. And it also allowed me to have the American black experience and understand the fear that many black people in America live in and that it's not an overreaction but really just a consequence of repeated oppression. And that ish wears on you after a while. So when people act out and it seems erratic and it seems out of proportion, it's just years of oppression and, and it messes with your mind. As for my Jamaicans, I really wish for us to stop competing to be the best Jamaican in the room. I appreciate how it encourages and encourages a love of our culture though and and it encourages in a way knowledge of culture because I feel like when you don't know certain things that fall into your heritage and you fall into that situation you're forced to learn about it and I think Jamaicans must know about everything they must know about the food and how the food prepare and the history of the food I I think we, we we need to know those things but at the same time I feel like so many Jamaicans who don't fit into the stereotype of what a Jamaican should look, sound, and feel like, that they don't deserve to have to fight for that. No matter what complexion they are. Um, and as a balanced Libra, I'll be fair. I've judged. I can't sit down here and act like I've never made an assumption. It's human nature. We do it. I just am better at keeping my mouth shut than deciding to open it. I look around my community. I live in a nice uptown gated community now. And I see the kids playing and I look at them and I think, what kind of Jamaica are they growing up in and what do they understand it to be? And how do they see, how do they fit into the whole landscape and stuff? But then I stand back and I'm like, based on this whole podcast, I shut up because I said to myself, I don't know what exposures they have. I don't know where else their parents take them. I don't know who else they interact with in their family spheres and their school spheres that help to fill in all of the gaps of the spectrum of what blackness and Jamaican life looks like. And since I don't know that, it's none of my business. I just hope that they grow up feeling loved and that they love themselves. And what will I say? To the world, I wish for racism to end. Likely never to happen anytime soon, but my, we've sure come a long way. And for you, my listeners, it was just really important for me to use Black History Month as an impetus to share some more layers of Mario. I wanted you to know my black man experience in Jamaica. I wanted you to understand maybe why I have a certain kind of empath in me, a love of people. I don't really have any fears of people unless they threaten my safety. And I mention it because I've met people who are afraid of their own countrymen. They're afraid of people who look a certain way, talk a certain way. I've met them. For me, life doesn't exist like that in my space. And I think when I meet people who don't treat people well and don't fit into that 
mold of being good people at the core that is hard for me to connect with them. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's pretty much it for me. It's good and bad people. I sift through them quick. If you're good for me, that's good. If you're bad for me, then you're out. And yeah, I think I'm going to wrap up now. But that is my black Jamaican experience. And maybe there's no there's no easy way to talk about race and racial and cultural experiences. Um, I, I mean, I always try to be as delicate as possible without stepping on anyone's toes. But I mean, it's one of those things that's, that's it's just what it is. And it's just your reality has to be what your reality is. Um, and though these conversations aren't easy, I would love if people had some healthy conversation underneath the IG post or in the YouTube comments when you listen to this episode. I want to hear about your experiences. I want to hear if being black or whatever race you are has been challenging for you in whatever context you've been in based on the environment you're placed in or based on expectations that you were made to feel people had of you and, and what that looks like for you. Drop your stories in the comments, YouTube, Instagram, or otherwise. And um, the final, final, final words let you know that despite the fact that I've shared all of this, this is really my history and I'm fine and I'm good and I'm comfortable with myself. I'm loved and I feel beautiful and wonderful in the skin that I'm in. And I hope that you do as well. Let's celebrate Black History Month. It's been a while. We've been black from we born for the black people. And make we support it and let us celebrate it and let's be proud of our blackness. You've listened to episode number 50 of Talk Trot. Follow us on social media. It's now at TLKTRTH on almost everything except for the website, which is the proper words. TalkTruthJA, that's T-A-L-K-T-R-U-T-H-J-A at gmail.com for the email sorry website would be talktruthja.com everything else is tlktrth and that's talk truth without the vowels it really means a lot to us when we get reviews it has to do a lot with our ratings our podcast ratings haven't gotten one in a while know that if you drop one i am going to highlight you on the next episode so please tell us how you feel about the the, the podcast or the episode and make, make me begin up right so that's pretty much it. Until next time, my name is Mario Evan and this is Talk Truth. <laughs> A place where your truth shall become your power and set you free.